Welcome to a new edition of the Practice Squad Sports Podcast. Uh, it's Max's birthday today, so we're here to do what he loves doing most, talking about basketball, talk about sports. The NBA off-season is here, so we're doing a big off-season podcast. Uh, and joining me today to discuss those things, of course, Max Richardson and Jared Lenahan. Boys, how are we? I'm phenomenal. Firstly, happy birthday, Max. Um, and I'm happy to be back. I missed one last week. Had a bit of FOMO because I was driving home from Melbourne and I listened the whole way home and I was upset I wasn't here. Then went on to send hate mail to the group chat about all the things I disagreed with. <laughs> but no, happy to be back and happy birthday, Max. Thanks, boys. Yeah, good to be here. Um, Carlton had a good win yesterday as well and uh, Eagles training camps just kicked off. So very promising um, time of the year. Uh, well, we've got a couple of things on the table today. The uh, ESPN released a NBA off-season survey the other day, so we're just going to run through that and discuss a few things from there. And then we'll be doing a preview of the Northwest Division, which is probably one of the more interesting divisions in basketball uh, this season. So to start off with, ESPN surveyed 20 uh NBA, GMs, executives, assistant coaches uh, ask a few questions about different things pertaining to the season ahead and tallied their responses. So the first question was, who is the best player in the NBA, uh, which produced some interesting results, I guess I would say. Kawhi Leonard ranking highest with 12 votes. Giannis Antetokounmpo with six votes and James Harden with two. So what, what do we think about those results? Um, I'd like to say, firstly, I'm surprised there's a few omissions there. Like, you'd assume, as me and Max just said before, well, Max said to me, there's a bit of recency bias in the voting there. I mean, obviously, Kawhi Leonard would be the marquee player of the league at the moment, just with his performance at Toronto. Um, so you could expect him to uh, get a lot of those votes, but... For me, the biggest thing was the omissions of Steph Curry and LeBron James. I'd assume both of them, maybe even if they only got a few votes, would have received votes. But for um, only three players to receive votes and neither of them being LeBron James, uh, Steph Curry not on the list, that surprises me a lot personally. Yeah, that's probably got to do with the fact that you didn't see LeBron in all of the playoffs and didn't see Steph Curry in the finals. Um, But yeah, I don't think you can really argue against the fact that Kawhi Leonard can be the best player in the NBA. It's just the fact that there are a couple of other players that potentially could have been in there. Yeah, I agree. I think, I mean, after seeing what Kawhi did in the playoffs last season, uh, I guess it wouldn't, it's not unexpected that he would be the answer for a majority of the uh, respondents. Um, James Harden is the interesting one for me, just in terms of, sort of best player, I guess you think about the player that, you know, gives your team the best chance of winning a championship. And I just wonder if you would have James Harden as one of those players ahead of, as someone like a Steph Curry or a LeBron James, um, where you've seen him sort of have moments in playoff games where he sort of hasn't really shown that he can perform to the level necessary when it's needed I guess yeah well that's the thing when I looked at that um the 20 votes there when you see James Harden receive two you sit there and you think well would I rather have James Harden leading my team uh, instead of Steph Curry and for me the answer would be no if I could have one of those two players as my you know the spearhead of my team I'd be taking Steph Curry personally over James Harden for a, a few reasons don't get me wrong James Harden had a has had monumental seasons the last two seasons with his stats. Um, largely credited to D'Antoni's system and his usage, but at the same time, nothing can discredit averaging, you know, in the mid-30s, anything like that. But when it comes down to it, I'd still prefer to have Steph Curry as my marquee player. And I'm really surprised that, like I said, Harden received votes, Steph Curry didn't. Um, well, let's let's 
discuss the next question that was asked. What move from the summer did you like most? Uh, the Clippers getting Kawhi Leonard and Paul George received 10 votes. Jazz getting Boyan Bogdanovic and Mike Conley receiving two votes. The Pelicans overall offseason also receiving two boy- two votes. And then Josh Richardson and Al Horford to Philadelphia receiving two votes. Uh, I mean, for me, one of those isn't quite the same as the others. I mean, obviously the Pelicans overall offseason doesn't include that sort of duality that we see in two, a team who teams who are just a move away getting those two players sort of put them in championship contention but they did I mean undoubtedly have a very impressive off season so what what did you guys was there anything that you guys thought was missed in that well you make a good point there Rory in the fact that they're kind of the Pelicans off season stands out and the other three that got votes were teams that were close to them close to the mark trying to make that next step up to really get into that championship contending offseason. And I thought that there was another team like the Pelicans that were trying to retool, and that was Oklahoma City Thunder, what they were able to do, um, getting the assets they were able to get for Paul George and then being able to flip Russell Westbrook. So when you think about the team that was rebuilding and what they were able to do the most, I thought that Oklahoma City had a better offseason than the Pelicans. Um, I think the Pelicans do need to be complimented firstly on how they've dealt with everything in regards to Anthony Davis and what they've done since then. Um, Because they kind of got put in a precarious situation by Anthony Davis. A year left on his contract. They knew he wanted to leave. And they still ended up acquiring a lot of good assets from the Lakers and also made a lot of astute moves. They acquired Zion, all that kind of stuff. But I'm inclined to agree in the fact that it's kind of a bit stand out on that list in regards to what it's placing there. But they did have a good off-season, but I'm not sure if it was, you know, worth worthy of the most, you know, the best move of the off-season vote, um, is what I'd say. And Oklahoma probably did have a better off-season as well. The the others receiving oh, votes, Dallas... To make this <laughs> Dallas got a vote for re-signing Dorian <laughs> Finney-Smith. And Chicago getting Thomas Sadaransky as well. Ah. Uh, bit interesting when you sort of compare them to the other ones um i mean what what moves did you guys like most i mean it's very difficult to look past the clippers getting paul george and Kawhi leonard uh as anyone who's talked about basketball with me in the last month would know i'm very very high on what the jazz did in the off season i think they really addressed all of their problems from especially the playoffs last season and put themselves in a really really good position to go deeper into the playoffs and be I genuinely think they're championship contenders this season I love you know, can't wait till we preview the division because I'm going to push your buttons on that a little bit <laughs> so that'll be fun but they did have a very good off season yeah but once again it kind of goes back to the the context of that question and each context for each individual team is that um, what was the best move for the Clippers isn't necessarily the best move for the Thunder um, because if they're trading away Paul George, the best move is to not go and try and get an aging superstar when when their clear direction is then to be rebuilt. So I think the, that thing that makes the Pelicans overall offseason stand out on that list is it says what from the summer did you... What move from the summer? The word move? So the Pelicans didn't really make a move. They made an abundance of moves, whereas all the others were just single or double moves for one or two players, etc., or a trade here or there. But that's like kind of a taken more as a like the overall scheme of an off season as opposed to a single move, which is I think why it stands out so much. Yes, perhaps uh, Dorian Finney-Smith and <laughs> Thomas Sadaransky are victims of people actually reading the question, uh, as opposed to just you know providing a blanket answer for teams' moves. Um, I was thinking, forgive me, but I just feel as though the Josh Richardson, Al Horford moved to Philadelphia doesn't really stand out to me as much as maybe Al Horford. I'm, I'm, I just in terms of, I mean, Kawhi and Paul George, and then someone probably because Kevin Durant's injury, this one uh, was left out, but Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving to Brooklyn only got one vote. So I just thought that was a bit interesting in comparison to the uh, Josh Richardson, Al Horford to Philadelphia votes. Yeah, I probably agree. I mean, Al Horford is in his he's thirty 
34, I believe, is he not, Max? Yeah. 34, and he's on big money for three years? Uh, four, four years. years. But yeah, it so is a... Is it a, play, is it a team option? Uh, it's a year? declining deal. So I think okay, he only so earns 22 in the last year. Okay, so it's top heavy. Yeah. Yeah, Front so I like that. Um, but you would say, I mean, tr- tr- trading Jimmy Butler in a sign and trade, I suppose. You were never keeping Jimmy Butler... But getting Josh Richardson in return, I actually really like. I think Josh Richardson's a really good piece. I actually like him as a player a lot. So, I mean, I you I think I'm actually am impressed with what Philly did in the offseason because I was sitting there going, wow, they've got a pick between Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler. They're not going to be as good as they were this year. They didn't quite reach the summit last year. I was a bit worried for them. But I actually think they actually have done really well this summer um, in, 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 overall, in the overall scheme of things. So, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with them receiving votes there. I think I just have questions about Philly, it seems like they um they addressed sort of you got they got players for their starting lineups, but I'm not sure how much depth they really have, and I'm not sure if that will sort of be their undoing in the yeah. end. Especially, guess, I'm I'm not sure I would trust Brett Brett Brown to manage a you know team that has a lot of starters and then yeah. no depth. I think that's a fair criticism. The only kind of pushback I'll make is that they're probably hoping to get kind of internal development from um, guys like Jonah Bolden and last year's first-round pick, Zaire Smith. Mark um, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and And this year's pick, um, Thibault. So hopefully they're able to develop and, and provide quality bench minutes. But yeah, it does beg the question that they weren't able to get quite, kind of another veteran quality bench player. I think that like Kyle Korver. Little, like a slight lack of, um, you know, shooting possibly. But, I mean, we're getting quite off track in talking about Philly, I suppose. But if I had a criticism of them, I think they're a hard, long defensive lineup. They're going to be really hard to play against, but I think they might just lack a bit of spot-up shooting when they need it. That would be my probably main criticism of them at this point. Yeah. Uh, well, let's let's move to the next question. What was the worst move of the summer? Uh, and this, this really just sort of hits everything that we've been talking about. <laughs> For the past month, uh, Nick's off season with six votes, uh, Ricky Rubio to Phoenix with six votes, and Terry Rozier to the Charlotte Hornets with four votes. Um, <laughs> I think the Phoenix move is ten times worse than what the Knicks did. When you consider that um, that move had to be made, they also had to trade two second round picks and kind of their versatile second year guard D'Anthony Melton just to get rid of Josh Jackson who was a first round pick to be able to sign Ricky Rubio um, it's crazy to me then then you add in the fact that they salary dumped um, TJ Warren they had to attach a first round pick to get off him um, they traded in that trade for Josh Jackson they got Kyle Korver but they just waived him immediately, which seemed silly in the fact that they could probably potentially get positive value back again for him. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think the Phoenix kind of whole offseason and that in particular, the way it kind of had a domino effect in that they had to move pieces to be able to sign Rubio just made no sense and I thought it was a terrible move. The thing that makes my blood boil about this whole situation is they were sitting pretty in the draft. They could have had Kobe White with their draft pick but then they trade their draft pick away for a late first rounder and then sign Ricky Rubio who's who's okay but like it's Ricky Rubio, you know what I mean? Like you could have had a promising young guard to pair with your star player Devin Booker and they do everything Max just said, trade away their first round pick and sign Ricky Rubio. It just makes me angry like I don't really know how to like put that analytically. It just pisses me off. <laughs> and when they did trade back, they took arguably a reach in the draft of Cam Johnson at 11. So another questionable move, but potentially it might pay off. Yes, I think that it's interesting that uh, the answers are put sort of the Knicks offseason as a whole and not Phoenix's offseason off-season. as a whole as well, which I would also argue was worse than... Just the Knicks. Phoenix organization <laughs> as a whole would be a good answer there. Yes. I the mean, the <laughs> I mean the Nick, the Knicks for me, they, I have, I mean obviously there's questions about what they did in terms of not even pursuing players that they have been thought to have been pursuing for you know a year and a half now. Uh, but they also had a clear backup plan in 
great, we'll try again in two years. We'll we'll give some young talent. <laughs> I'm honestly okay with what the Knicks have done. I mean, in the in the grand scheme of things, no, because of all the hype around all the players they could have got and all that kind of thing. But in the grand scheme of things, I actually think they've done well with what what's what's ended up happening. They haven't attracted any big name free agents and they haven't gone out and panicked and signed someone to overs just to get a name in like they could have you know pursued someone that was kind of that tier two level superstar just to have a name on their roster but i like what they've done they've put lots of um team friendly short-term deals on the on the um roster and they've got a few young players who hopefully i think i think the knicks are still going to be okay to watch at times because i've got a lot of aspirations for a few of their players so I mean, I don't hate what they've done and they haven't shot themselves in the foot for, you know, half a decade to a decade. They're just going to see what they've got for 12 to 24 months and then they've got a lot of cap space and flexibility to shoot a shot. Hopefully they will in 12 or 24 months. I think the uh, other votes is quite interesting for this question as well. It's very sort of revealing about how, uh, how many different ways this question can go. I mean, whoever... Voted Thomas Sadoransky for to Chicago as the best move. Obviously, voted Wizards giving up Thomas Sadoransky <laughs> as the worst move as well. But things I'm like, really <laughs> but things like, uh, I mean, Sacramento's off season was received one vote as the worst move, which I think is quite interesting. And even something like Jimmy Butler to Miami and Russell Westbrook to Houston uh, also received votes as. The worst move. I think Russell Westbrook to Houston is quite an interesting one there because that was something that essentially, I mean, the the franchise has just sort of reached that point where it's time to move on. And I think everyone sort of accepted that as the case, but obviously someone disagreed. I think the question there would be, do they dislike Rockets attaining Westbrook or do they dislike what the Rockets gave up for Westbrook? Because they ended up having to attach a few pick swaps and first round picks to that where there was a what I was hearing and listening to there was a general consensus that not many people would be willing to give up many assets to take on Westbrook and his contract so that begs the question for me is do they dislike them picking up Westbrook or do they dislike them giving up the assets they did for Westbrook but even so I don't think it's necessarily a bad move because that that move sort of makes you a better team ultimately in a time in a time where you've been so close for so long so i thought it was quite interesting that that move was uh up there well was voted um i also think terry rosier to charlotte is quite an interesting one i'm not sure i think i've said this before i don't think it was a good move by any means but i'm not sure that terry rosier is as bad as everyone is making him out to be but i think I mean, my guess would be just in the context of not paying Kemba Walker, even though he was willing to take less money for you and not even getting close to offering, and then turning around and giving Terry Rozier $60 million across three years. Um, I mean, yeah, what, what did you guys think about that one? Yeah, well, we talked about it last week, just the kind of complete dysfunction of the Charlotte Hornets organization. And with that kind of adage of, of saying that um, the Rosier contract was bad was it you have to think about it kind of in a more whole sense is it wasn't just an isolated move them signing him it had to do with the fact that they let Kemba go yeah I'm inclined to agree that it's one of those ones where it's not actually a direct attack on Terry Rosier or his ability it's more like the overall context of the situation where if them not giving Kemba a reduced deal, which he would have taken in terms of the max um, and all that kind of stuff. And not a knock on Terry Rozier. I think he's a starting point guard in the NBA. But when you've got, you know, an all te- uh, first all-team guard or in Kemba Walker, or first all-team, third all-team guard in Kemba Walker, excuse me, um, and you're not going to keep him on your roster so you can remain competitive and then give, and then sign Terry Rozier, I mean, that would probably be what was the, you know, the hate towards that one, I'd say. Yeah, um... Let's talk about the most surprising move of the off-season. I should note that in this question, Paul George to the Clippers was not allowed to be given as an answer. Uh, So there were three answers that broke through with multiple votes. Al Horford to Philadelphia received six votes. 
D'Angelo Russell to Golden State received six votes, and JJ Redick to New Orleans received two votes. Uh, I mean, from that list, there's one that sort of jumps out to me as the most surprising, uh, that being D'Angelo Russell to Golden State. But, I mean, I felt like there was a little bit of chatter about Al Horford before it happened, whereas I feel as though D'Angelo Russell just sort of... Came out of nowhere. I mean, yeah, you you had talks about, obviously, Kevin Durant was signing, and we knew that for a while, but then there was sort of talks about a sign-and-trade came very much out of nowhere from my perspective yeah I think that's just a kind of indication of how good um, the Warriors front office is is being able to make moves on the fly effectively that they knew Kevin Durant was leaving and then they were able to kind of swindle their way into to getting D'Angelo Russell back and whilst at the same time D'Angelo Russell people go oh is Clay Thompson going to play small forward and all this it doesn't really matter at the moment because Clay Thompson's out so really, in in the overall scheme of things, it's a great move because D, D Russell plays next to um, Steph Curry for the foreseeable future, and then at the end of the day, D'Angelo Russell is a very very tradable asset on his contract, and there's going to be a host of teams lining up to trade for him. So in the wor- in the worst case, you play D'Angelo Russell till Christmas, um, and then look to trade him for pieces heading into the finals when Clay Thompson comes back, or you keep him for a year and you trade him next summer. But they got essentially got something for when they shouldn't have got anything. So um, it is surprising, but it's a great move, I think. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think that's sort of... And that's part of you know the Warriors front office being as good as they are. I thought it was just... They knew that... I guess they had enough time to realise that Kevin Durant was probably leaving. Uh and then they were able to sort of out of nowhere turn it into a young star in D'Angelo Russell. Um, I thought that once again, I think other receiving votes is sort of quite interesting in this perspective. Things like Nikola Miritich going to Barcelona, which was which was genuinely, yeah, I think, one of the most surprising He's moves. An absolute starting player in the NBA. Uh, it, it is surprising. He's European though, so I mean there is that connection to head back home so to speak but i think he could have maximized his capital in the nba for a lot longer than he did and he was a, i think he's a talented player overall so yeah i agree i think that one was just very much because it happened before the off season started it wasn't very reported upon and it just sort of was dropped out of nowhere um marcus morris to the knicks <laughs> uh just like to take this opportunity to say fuck marcus morris <laughs> um, I Kevin Durant to the Nets and Boston signing Kemba Walker was were both voted on as well, which I think is quite interesting. I guess surprising in terms of you had a year and a half of everyone saying Kevin Durant would be going to the Knicks, and then obviously <laughs> Kemba, uh, Kemba and Charlotte sort of fell apart pretty quickly. But I still think there was a lot of talk about that happening and it was sort of pretty clear that that was going to happen before uh, free free agency even started. Yeah, I think the Kemba Walk one's not quite that surprising. I mean, the surprising part of that, is again, is multifaceted. So, firstly, Charlotte not giving Kemba the money and then Kemba leaving. And I think Boston was pretty much a perfect fit for him anyway. So, I don't think that's as surprising as Kevin Durant to the Nets. I think Kevin Durant going to the Nets was a much more surprising move than Kemba Walker, just in terms of the market and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, I thought that was quite surprising. Um, we'll just quickly glaze over the next question because it's a little bit less uh, pertinent to the upcoming season. But why are teams willing to move uh, first-round picks more than before? So, prioritising winning now received nine votes. The demise of Golden State Warriors received five votes and rookie scale salary changes received three votes uh i mean in my opinion the first two are both more or less the same so i i'm i'm very much in the camp that sort of the demise of the warriors and the opening up of you know not having that clear leading team going into the season led teams to be willing to make more moves to put themselves in a winning position and give them the best chance when they have the best chance. Yeah, you are right. That they, they are similarly linked in that um, the Warriors' demise has led to people prioritising winning now. Um, 
obviously uh, when the Warriors signed Durant, they had that massive cap spike, cap spike, so they were able to sign him. And then they had that kind of four-year run where everyone was kind of like, oh, maybe it's best to just kind of back out and, and save till they kind of break up, which inevitably they had to do this year. Um, and now you're seeing teams like the Clippers um, and the Jazz, the Sixers, the Bucks, all kind of really going all in now. Yeah, I think it was kind of around the league, it was widely accepted that unless you were doing something just off the charts, you weren't going to beat the Warriors in a seven-game series in a finals, in a, in a, playoffs game, in a playoff series. It just wasn't going to happen. And like, it, I'm excited as a fan that it's now happened because it's white, excuse me, it's blown the league wide open. But before that, I even as GMs and stuff were all sitting there going, okay, well, we're not going to beat them no matter what we do. Why? mortgage our future to try and compete with them when we can just sit back for a few years um see what we've got and then retool and then go for it once they like max said split up so i think i'd agree with that that they're probably similarly linked there uh now the last question asked in the survey is probably the more interesting one uh who will be the conference champions and the nba champion for the Eastern Conference, the Milwaukee Bucks received 12 votes and the Philadelphia 76ers received 8 votes. Uh, and for the Western Conference, the LA Clippers received 16 votes, the Denver Nuggets 2 votes, the Utah Jazz 1 vote and the Houston Rockets 1 vote. And for the title, the Clippers had 13 votes, the Bucks 2, Sixers 2, Utah 1, Denver 1 and the Houston Rockets 1, which... Is quite interesting to me because we've just had that discussion about how there's sort of no clear-cut team and here we are with you know nba executives having a clear opinion that the clippers are the team to beat this season nearly like 75 percent of the um interviewed or polled gms thought that the clippers were going to win for me the interesting point that i thought was the omission of a team which was the la lakers not only the fact that no one thought they were going to win the conference, but no one has tipped them to win the NBA title. I think just their two superstars in LeBron and AD will always give them a fighting chance. And for me, it's recency bias again, because if this question was asked 18 months ago before LeBron sat most of last season with an injury and Anthony Davis had a tantrum in New Orleans, then I'd just assume they'd be getting a lot of the votes there personally. And it's nothing to say that LeBron's over the hump yet. So... I think that with them two on your roster, it doesn't really matter who's around you so much. And they've actually done better than I thought they would with what they had left. So, I mean, for them to not even get a vote, I'd still take the Clippers over them personally. They're just a personal taste in a seven-game series. But for them to not get a vote is just ridiculous, I think. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting uh, what would happen to these votes if instead of conference champions, it was uh, who would be the number one seed in each conference, I think you'd get, I mean, obviously, I think you'd get Utah getting more votes personally, uh, and teams like Denver would probably get more votes as well. So it's it's an interesting sort of exercise to think about where teams sort of rank in terms of those regular season and then playoff rankings. Um, another one to me, I thought it was interesting that more people had the Bucks as conference champions personally. I know that Max, we had a discussion before about 538 having Philadelphia as the highest, uh, having the highest win chance for the NBA title for the upcoming season with, what was it? 27%. 27%. So that's a one in four chance, which seems pretty high to me. So I think, um, I mean, I think that Bucks Sixers battle will be quite interesting. Yeah, I think the East is kind of... It's just like, again, showing the dominance of the West here. I think if you put a lot of the teams just below the Clippers in the Eastern Conference, their chances of a title are going to skyrocket because whilst it, all those teams not receiving votes on the West... Um, well, teams not receiving votes in the West, it's because they're in the West and only one can come out of the West. But I think that that's the thing with the, the East with it being a two-horse race because it's just widely known that they're the, the two better teams in the Eastern Conference and essentially they're just fighting each other. That well, what's everyone? That's everyone's view that they're just fighting each other for that shot at the in the finals and they just got to beat one of the West teams in a seven-game series. So I probably think that's why they've both got so many votes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you guys have anything to add about the survey? 
Oh, I just wanted to quickly, we moved on quickly from the, um, uh, the why people moving more first round picks than before. And the rookies receiving salary changes. I seen a piece the other day where the, uh, who was it? There was a player picked. I think it was outside of the top 10, but he was receiving more than a player on a vet minimum. So that, that view where you could, uh, um, put rookies and young players on team-friendly contracts around superstars is now kind of diminishing because of the increase in salaries for the rookies. Yeah, the number 15 overall pick. Yes. Um, yep. Sekou Diumba yep. make $2.7 million, nearly double the salary for a player making the vet min. Yeah, correct. So you're taking a untrialed asset <laughs> at double the price of a vet min, which who would you rather depending it's a situational circumstance but who would you rather put around a, a championship team someone on a vet min who's probably had 10 years in the league plus you know um or a rookie i think that yeah that's probably would be a big one for me why people are moving first round picks and yeah i imagine for most of those teams who are just trying to go for a championship already got a lot of the salary cap locked up before the draft you've probably already got a lot of your team locked up so having that limited cap space and then taking a larger chunk of it with a rookie contract, probably. Yeah. That's that's a very good point. It's just, for me, a shift from um, filling out your roster with rookies and it's shifting towards filling it out with vet mins because they're obviously more cap-friendly now. So more contenders pushing first and they're going to sign people on vet mins to fill out their roster as opposed to those rookie deals, which aren't as friendly anymore. Yeah, it gives teams the ability to have those kind of three max guys. Yep. And because a lot of the time the vet mins, not their whole contract is um, counted against the cap, yep. is they're able to fill out their roster with a lot cheaper alternatives with guys that have fairly similar or potentially just below the same level of ability as those first round picks. And they've also got the experience in the league and they're also probably at this point in their career players that are looking for championships or are willing to take these vet min deals or very low level deals below a rookie player um, to be a part of a championship run. Sorry, um, do you want to repeat that because the mic unplugged itself? Which part? Just your part. Although Christian McCaffrey was 42 overall in our top 100, and I'm angry. Nah, um, I was just saying that I think it's more players. The vet mins um, are players that are at that twilight of their career. They want to go for a um, they want to want to go for a championship per se. So they're willing to take these small deals, which are more team friendly now than a rookie. So I think that's probably what that for me was should have been mentioned more in that survey from the executives. Yeah. So I mean, it all. Those those three answers of prioritizing winning now, just demise of the Warriors and the rookie scale salary changes, they all come back to the same thing, which is winning yeah. at the end of the day. And also, sorry, just last thing, because like, for me, there's too much going on in terms of you've got to pick a player that you like, then you've got to, this player's got to hit well. And there's more risk involved in using your first round pick to get a player as opposed to trading that for an already made NBA player or multiples for a star player because there's so much that can go wrong between picking a player and then becoming a star that the risk versus reward trade-off people are now saying fuck our draft picks we'll trade him for a player that's already a star in the NBA you know what I mean yeah absolutely um, now let's move on and talk about the Northwest division shall we so for those who don't know all the teams and all the divisions like us uh, the Northwest Division has the Denver Nuggets, the Minnesota Timberwolves, the Oklahoma City Thunder, the Portland Trailblazers, and the Utah Jazz. So, probably one of the more interesting divisions. Uh, four playoff teams in that division last season. Obviously, you'd expect the Thunder to drop out, but then you've still got, I mean, two teams in the Nuggets and the Jazz who are expected to be contending for the first seed in the Western Conference, and then there could be an argument made for the Blazers as well. Um, but let's let's start out with the lower end of that division. Who do we see losing the division this season? I had two, two teams in contention in the Thunder and the Minnesota Timberwolves. I know Max is a bit higher on the Timberwolves. Yes, I am, but I think the Thunder will lose it just because the fact that they're have had such momental, momentous change through their organization, losing their two um, superstar players that it's going to take a bit of a while to get this team on track and playing well together. So I think that first kind of three months, potentially, you're not going to see them winning many games. Um, their over-unders at 28. 
So that kind of gives you an indication about what people around the league think their win total is going to be. So I think they're going to come last. Um, I think they'll probably come last as well, but I think it's going to be quite close between them and the Timberwolves. I'm not really that high on the Timberwolves personally. I don't like Carl Anthony Towns as my marquee player. I just don't really like him. He leaves a sour taste in my mouth. So, Sorry, what? Yeah, I don't like <laughs> Dude, him. Dude, he's a seven-foot player. He care. averages 25 and 12 don't and care. shoots 40% from and behind the arc. And his team sucks. I don't care. Oof, he stinks. Man. He's, I'm not saying he's a bad player, but I don't want him being my marquee player. Wow. I don't like his attitude either. He just seems like a bit of a prima donna kind of guy. Oh. Um, I thought you'd be on the other side of this because you like Jimmy Butler. Wow. But... When did Skip Bayless walk in? Here? <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, let me rephrase that. Pass it back. Carl Anthony Towns is really, 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 really good at basketball, but... I don't want him leading my team to a championship at this point in his career. I'm... And you want Jokic? Yes. Wow. I mean, I think there's certainly attitudinal questions that come into play when we're discussing Carl Anthony Towns nice. after all that happened in Minnesota with Jimmy Butler and whatnot. I mean, for me, the question with Minnesota, like, are they going to move Andrew Wiggins? I would think that they probably try to, but I don't know if they'll really... I'm bullish, I'm bullish on Wiggins to turn it around. You don't you don't average twenty points in the NBA and not have talent. It's true, but there's there's well, yeah, at it, there's he doesn't seem to work hard. You, you're gonna get you're also gonna get a full healthy year of Robert Covington, who um when he was healthy was first team or defense. Um Jake Lehman was an underrated pickup. Um you could argue that letting Tyus Jones go was a bit of a questionable decision. Um but yeah, I don't know. I just Carl Anthony Towns. I think arguably has the most is the most skillful offensive big man in the league. The, his post moves, the way his ability to shoot it from the outside is is ridiculous. Okay, I don't think I think he's. I agree with exactly what you said in terms of his talent, but I just don't know at this point if he has the ability or the desire, not desire, but the the mental aptitude and hunger <laughs> for his to lead his team because he just seems to. You know what I mean? He seems deer in the headlights, so to speak, to me. This hot, trying to take control of his team. He doesn't have that authority over the players in his team. And he seems a bit immature to me at this point, personally. And Andrew Wiggins as well, who just frustrates the hell out of me because he's just so talented but just doesn't care half the time. Like, one night you look at him and go, wow, this kid's good. Or kid, he's in his mid-20s now. But wow, this kid's good. And then other times you look at him and go, oh my God, just get off the court. Like, it just does my head in. The, the whole organization makes me angry. And they also shafted us from the playoffs two years ago, which and pissed me off. The way they were, the way they were able to get, well, they effectively traded an expiring contract and the eleventh pick in the expiring contract in Dario Saric to get up to four. So, I think that was a really um, was a good, good move and get Jarrett Culver, who potentially could be, I think, up there with the best in the class in a couple of years. Uh, I mean, my questions. So, my questions for Minnesota and the reasons that I have them with Oklahoma City as I mean I think they'll probably be around the same to be perfectly honest Minnesota didn't make a whole bunch of moves for sort of immediate uh, change obviously you noted Jake Lehman who's quite a talented player but Jared Culver is going to need a year or two Um, Jordan Bell could make an impact but once again questions around that and moving away from Dario Saric as well. This is a team that had 36 wins last season in a Western Conference that arguably has gotten better. Um, and I would... I mean, their over-under is 35, so obviously Vegas thinks they're about the same. And for me, the Thunder, while they made all of these changes, as we noted last week, they still have a sneaky sort of middle-of-the-road team. Obviously, Chris Paul is quite a talented player and in games without James Harden last year showed that he can still lead a team. Shea Gildress-Alexander is very talented. Danilo Gallinari, great scorer. Um, you've still got Steven Adams. Like, I think 28 for me for the Thunder is pretty low, personally, and I think that there is potential for them to creep up to around Minnesota's uh, win total. I just think in comparison between the Wolves and the Thunder is that the Timberwolves have Carl Anthony Towns, who's a arguably consensus like top 15 NBA player, and then the Oklahoma City Thunder, they don't really have a number one guy. If we're, if we're taking into consideration that they're probably going to move Chris Paul. 
Yeah, I'd assume they will move Chris Paul once they have a suitor. But I still think, I agree with Rory in the sense that I think that um, OKC are still sneaky okay. Or not good, but sneaky okay. I think they'll probably end up winning in the low 30s for the game the game wins. And then the Timberwolves, it could go either way. I think I think they've improved as a team this offseason. Um, and adding Jarrett Culver mostly for me would be the, the reason for that. But... Um, um, the thing is they've got slightly better but then the Western Conference has gotten a lot better so it's like will, will their slight improvement um, result in more wins for them or are they going to end up about the same because their improvement isn't equal to that of the, those above them would be the question for me there yeah I mean the other question for me is the Thunder obviously have all of these draft picks now so and I'd have to look at the draft picks, but I'm just not sure how much value there is in tanking this season for the Thunder. Obviously, the draft lottery changes as well make things a bit different. Um, so I'm just, I just wonder if they'll sort of just decide to throw away the season and tank as well, because I feel like that's not what will happen personally. I think they'll probably put the effort in, they'll try, and I don't know, Minnesota for me, like they got rid of, like, well, Derrick Rose, Tyus Jones, Dario Saric, those are three players who all made big impacts on that team last year. And there's, they don't have the same level of impact players coming in. So I, I question whether they will be able to... Taj gives them another big omission from, that they lost yeah. last year. Um, Tyus Jones is very underrated player. He had the best assist to turnover ratio in the NBA. He was very good at distributing the ball for Minnesota. So I think, but the question was, he was then, um, there was a alpha sheet for him of three years, 28 million, I believe it was, and they chose not to match it. So I think they'll be rolling with the Teague and Culver backcourt will end up being what happens there. I'd say by about Christmas, Culver will come in and um, be the starting guard there with Jeff Teague. But I think Culver is really talented and negates a few of those losses in terms of explosiveness and that kind of um, X factor. But I think they're going to probably end up around... The 35s, I reckon, is really accurate for them. They're probably going to be 35 to 38 somewhere for me in the wins. Um, well, I mean, let's let's move on to the next question we had about this division, which I guess I've sort of already answered my part in, is any surprises that you see coming out of this division? Obviously, my takes on Oklahoma City could probably be counted as a surprise, I guess. I, I kind of jotted down three surprises. I had Minnesota winning 40 games, the Jazz and Nuggets not winning 50 games. I, I'm not we have very opposing jazz. views on Minnesota, Max. Um, I can't see the Jazz not winning 50 games, personally. I'm just not sold on Donovan Mitchell as being a number one player. But now... But now the way that they structured their team, there's a lot less pressure on him. You've got Boyan Bogdanovic, who is an incredibly talented scorer and can take pressure off. I understand Mike that. Conley can make things happen. I mean, I think they've really addressed that question specifically with the moves that they made in the offseason. I just thought they were very similar to what the paces were last year. Kind of Oladipo and Mitchell, I think, are very kind of similar players. Then you have Bogdanovic, obviously, these the same. And... <laughs> And the Pacers only won 48 games last year. In the East. But the thing, I think... Without the th- Oladipo for half of it. And the, the thing for me is this Jazz team, despite their added depth and added talent, no doubt, I still think their success hinges on Donovan Mitchell being a superstar. So if Donovan Mitchell comes out in his third season... Um, and impresses off the scales and has shown great improvement, it becomes a 23, 24, 25 point per game guy, then I'll consider the Jazz a, a, a threat for the NBA title. But if Donovan Mitchell, he's the guy, has to be the guy that does it, he's going to have Mike Conley around him, Bogdanovich, other pieces, um, Rudy Gobert. If Donovan Mitchell can take that step and become a bona fide NBA superstar, then I see the Jazz as a threat to the title. But before that, I don't. I don't, I don't think that he needs to be a 25-point-per-game scorer on this team the way that they've structured it. I think that they're the sort of team that you'll have, you know, four players putting up between 12 and 20 points. And then you'll have Mike Conley, obviously a great playmaker. Um, I I just... 
I think that where they were last season and what they have changed and what they've addressed was absolutely everything. Obviously, in the playoffs, going into the playoffs, people were so high on them. And you saw Donovan Mitchell had that big load of a first of a first option and he just couldn't make things happen when he needed to. And they've fully addressed that in bringing in, as I said, Boyan Bogdanovic, who is an incredible shot creator, incredible scorer, and Mike Conley, who can can find his own shot and is also a really good playmaker. Yeah, I like I said, like I really like the Jazz and I like their depth and everyone the the Raptors showed in the this um final series has just gone that it can be a depth players that get you across the line but in at the end of the day you still need that player you, every team needs that player you got to have that player you can look at and go come on get us something and I think Donovan Mitchell isn't quite there yet he he's a, a bit um, erratic still at this point but I'm saying if Donovan Mitchell has honed in on his game and is showing us that he's going to be an NBA superstar like a top level NBA superstar or thereabouts then I think the Jazz are definitely in, 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 for, a, in for a shot but if he doesn't do that I still don't think they can just when you're talking about that player who can make a shot when you need them to, I think they've got three of those players in Mike Conley, Boyan Bogdanovich, and Donovan Mitchell. Um, did you did you have any surprises? Um, surprises? I think... Oh, I don't know if you'd call it a surprise, but uh, Jamal Murray getting the max straight away. I mean, that is kind of a surprise because he hasn't shown yet that he is a max NBA player. I'm a, just a disclaimer, I'm a Nuggets fan. So <laughs> For anyone that for didn't anyone, know. For all our fans out there, millions of you out there, I am a Nuggets fan, so I'm trying to not be biased on the podcast. It'll be a bit different story when we start doing NFL ones, but anyway. Um, I, I was kind of surprised he got maxed out. Um, I mean, because now the Nuggets have committed to Jokic and Murray as their two pieces. Are Murray and Jokic going to win you an NBA title would be the question I ask. And as a fan, I'm going to say I, I think they can if Murray continues to improve. But giving him a max and investing in him and Jokic is... I'd say it's not a surprise. I mean, they really had to, they had to be the play or someone else probably would have maxed him, I'd say. Um, but it kind of surprised me a little bit, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, breakthrough divisional players. I've got one. I'm going to drop mine in case Max has the same one quickly um I think that Portland <laughs> yes Portland uh, uh obviously Yusuf Nurkic obviously yeah, Yusuf bad. Nurkic injured still uh and then moving Mo Harkless and Hassan Whiteside coming in I think Zach Collins is primed for a very very good NBA season Max yeah I I had him penciled down I also had another one Anthony Simons, uh, yeah. second-year guard from Portland. Um, bit overwhelmed last year, but really saw him kind of take over Summer League. Really played well on and off the ball. And that's really going to fit well next to Damon CJ, um, especially with the loss of Curry. You're going to see him potentially get some more minutes. And yeah, I think he's got great potential. Zach Collins is big, athletic. He's got range, can shoot from shoot it outside and can do a lot defensively. Jared, did you have anyone? I do. Bol Bol? <laughs> no, I do, and it's Malik Beasley, um, who I think I'm going to make a claim here. I think he'll be starting over Gary Harris by Christmas, and Gary Harris, they will look to revert to a six-man role. In wow. my opinion, Malik Beasley is very good at basketball. I think he's going to be starting over Gary Harris by Christmas time. I thought that Harris was so good in that Spurs series. He really took DeRozan out. Um, yeah. He's defensively. A, I'd say he's one of the better defensive guards in the NBA, but I think Malik Beasley's explosion on the offensive end might... They might look to play him at the three, possibly, but he might be a slightly undersized at the three. He's only 196 centimetres, I believe, so six, uh, six, six. So he might be slightly small, but I just think the whole organisation is massive on him at the moment, Malik Beasley. And Gary Harris um, has his games, but he's kind of... his. For me, not really reaching his scoring potential at this point. I think that may be mostly due to Jokic and Murray taking a brunt of the offense. But I think um, Malik Beasley could definitely be taking Gary Harris's starting spot if they don't look at him as a three by around Christmas time, possibly. Interesting. I mean, you could have put that in surprises <laughs> as well. Um, another player that yeah, I had. It's a bit both. <laughs> another player that I had who I think might be interesting as a. Uh, 
prospect for a breakthrough player is Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Obviously had a pretty good rookie season last year in a team where he's going to see more of that workload as an option and um, going to be starting probably a lot of minutes. So I think there's a lot of potential for him to sort of make a breakthrough. The only question around that is I feel as though players generally don't make breakthrough, have breakthrough seasons in their uh, sophomore seasons, but I thought that was an interesting one that popped out to me as well. Um, now, divisional MVPs. I think there's two candidates that... Well, Max is telling me there's three candidates. I think there's two candidates that really uh, sort of crop up as... The favourites for this one are obviously Nikola Jokic, who was an you know top five MVP in in MVP voting last season, and then Damian Lillard is the other one for me. Uh, Max, who who do you have as third? Carl Anthony Towns. <laughs> Why don't you just tweet out how much you love him or something? I don't know. I just think he's exceptionally talented. Yes, he has issues defensively, but so does Jokic and. Um, he gets Millsap covering his ass half the time. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Just the guys like what twenty two averages twenty five, twelve, and four, and shoots forty percent from behind the arc. I mean, you got to be pretty darn good to do that. I think Dame. If I was had to pick one between um, Dame and Jokic, I think I'd take Lillard just for the fact that he kind of has that alpha dog mentality and he wants to take the shot. Where sometimes Jokic gets a bit pass happy particularly down the stretch when they need a bucket and he's got so many moves in the post and he's always kind of looking maybe looking to pass more than sometimes to and that's kind of I guess that's just his nature but I'd like to see him kind of take ownership and and have that confidence in himself it's immensely frustrating watching Nikola Jokic play basketball sometimes because he's so good he's a unicorn as well isn't he but like watching him sometimes try and force that dream pass when he has a perfect spot up shot 20 feet out really frustrates me. So hopefully this offseason he works on his uh, decision-making a little bit because I don't want it to take away from his ability to distribute the ball. But there was times, especially as Max said, down the stretch where you just wanted him to take a shot or make a move in the post and he was looking for that behind-the-back pass over-the-top lob to someone when you just you know, you know just needed the two, three points and you just wanted him to take a shot. So I'd agree that I hope he improves that. And if he does, I think he'll probably be the divisional MVP. Purely, he finished fifth in MVP voting last season. I expect the Nuggets to get better and Nikola Jokic to get better. So I, I see him trending upwards and I don't see anyone in the division. If that's how we were rating it on who ranks highest in the MVP voting at the end of the season, I'd say Nikola Jokic is going to end up highest as I'd say he's the most influential um, to his team as an individual. I think that sort of decision-making is something that you'd expect him to develop as he matures as a player. Obviously, still quite young, still relatively new in the in the league. Um, so I think that's... I, I would expect him to sort of start to pick that up and uh, become more aware of when he needs to take over and when he's in a good position to pass it off, etc. as he matures a bit. Um Damian Lillard is interesting to me simply because I wonder if obviously he's always been sort of a bit overlooked in these sorts of aspects and I wonder if after their playoff run last season and him being such an important and integral piece of that team uh, and obviously he had some big moments what with the 50 point game and then the that game winner against OKC. game winner against OKC um so I wonder that's if why he... Paul George left. <laughs> yeah, Dame was waving goodbye. Um, I wonder if that will sort of bring him a bit more recognition uh, as that sort of you know number one option and influential player think, that he is. I think sorry, I don't know what really category. I'd probably say breakthrough divisional player. Just speaking on the Blazers, I think Sam Whiteside's a sneaky good pickup for the Blazers. He's essentially a similar player to Nurkic in terms of a big presence in the in the paint and before he kind of fell out of favor in Miami he was a really dominant player on the boards like Andre Drummond styled kind of player just destroying rebounds so I think he might help them on the inside there help Dame out personally I think he's a underrated player yeah he's a good placeholder to have until yeah. Nurkic gets back Absolutely, yeah. um now let's discuss the uh most important question of the division which I feel we'll all have some pretty possibly different opinions about uh who who do we see winning the division 
Minnesota Timberwolves. <laughs> Max? Uh, I think you could just flip a coin between the Jazz and the Nuggets. I think the winner's probably going to win around low 50s, kind of 54 wins. Um, either of those teams, I think, will probably be pretty close to the mark and probably will come down to the last kind of couple of games, I think. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. I think they're probably... I'm going to say the Nuggets, just, you know, obvious reasons. But um, I think they're going to end up quite close at the end of the season. I think it's going to come down to how the Jazz's new pieces work in with their team. If they really, you know, take off, then I think they might have a, end up having a better regular season than the Nuggets. Um, but then on the flip side of that, if Jokic takes a step and Murray takes a step, um, which we're hoping they will, then I think the Nuggets will. So I think it's just going to come down to the improvement of the Nuggets' young core versus the additions of the Jazz and what's going to, you know, which of those two is going to have a bigger impact on their regular season. Yeah, so I should note that um, the Jazz have a over under of 52.5, the Nuggets of 52, and the Trailblazers with 47.5. Uh, I think that the Jazz <laughs> will win roughly 57 to 58 wow. games. Whoa. I think that they are a team that is just really primed for a regular season run, and I think that they'll be the number one seed in the Western Conference at the end of the season, which is not the first time I've said that, but I think that those additions just really put them in a good position in regular season games. And then on the flip side, where do you see the Nuggets falling by the end of the season? I think they'll probably be around where they were last season. Um, So that was 53 wins last season. Uh, 54, Nuggets won. 54, thank you. So maybe slide down to 52 just because of the Western Conference and how that is, but that's still good for... I, I'd still expect the Nuggets to be vying, vying for a top four seed and a home, home uh, first round series. Just with the Nuggets, um, they did add Jeremy Grant in the off-season. Um, if they play that big, like kind of that big three of Grant, Millsap and Jokic kind of down the stretch and have Harrison and Murray in the backcourt... Apart from Murray and Jokic, is there enough kind of outside shooting in that lineup not in, to make it work? Not in that lineup, but they do have... Will Barton's a good shooter. Malik Beasley's a good shooter. So I that's what I'm saying. So what, Grant's not going to play I'd in suggest, those crunch minutes? I would suggest it's, it's really difficult because the Nuggets are one of those teams where they have kind of eight or nine players that could all play, but certain players work better with other certain players. So it's really hard to get that locked in final lineup because I can see um, a situation where Millsap doesn't play down the stretch for an offensive reason so you have Grant at the four you'll have Beasley or Barton in I just think you give up so much defensively you do absolutely that's what I'm saying I'd say when it comes to closing a game Millsap's got to be in for his defense but if you were looking for um, offensive power I'd say Millsap slides out Grant goes to the four Harrison Murray and then Beasley, I'd suggest it'll be Beasley, but Beasley or Barton if they're looking for more shooting and more scoring. But on the flip side, like I said, Millsap stays in with Grant if they're looking to shut a game out. Yeah, I just thought that last year that they kind of did have some defensive breakdowns and that's why they obviously look to get Grant. So then if you're not going to have Millsap and Grant both in the lineup, is that does that bring about more questions if they can be broken down defensively because Jokic isn't known for his defense um, Gary Harris is, but yeah, just questions I have about if they're not playing those two together, um, yes, they're going to have the defense locked down, but are they going to be able to have enough outside shooting? That's probably why I was saying that Beasley would be in for a shot at becoming a guy. I want to just rephrase what I said before. I don't think Gary Harris is going to get asked for Malik Beasley or nothing like that, but I'm just saying I think Malik Beasley is really putting himself in the conversation of being in that starting lineup. Um overall and it, like Max said I think if you swap Harris out if you give if you have Grant and you have Millsap as your defensive you know cornerstones then you can sacrifice Harris place Beasley in because he's very quick across the court and can cover a guard um, and he adds that explosion and shooting on the offensive end for me personally if you were going to play Grant and Millsap and Jokic and Murray I'd probably have Beasley in um where do we see... Do we see the Blazers as a playoff team this season? I think that... I mean, I think that they're probably filling out the back end, personally. Um, they had a lot a lot of outs 
and those outs were largely very important role players. Uh, obviously, Alpha Aminu was in the starting Did he, drop, did, he, did he drop a 30 on someone? He dropped a 30 on Golden I guess probably the kind of counter to that is that they're hoping to get kind of internal development from Simons and Zach Collins to be able to take over that Alfarouk Aminu role for, for Zach Collins and um, Simons to take over that Seth Curry role. And can space the floor well. Yeah, um, Mario has only sort of turned it around the past few seasons. He was pretty good last year. Um, Just ask Stegs. Well, Vegas has their over under this year is forty seven and a half, and they won fifty three games. So they've Vegas has already taken off like five and a half wins, I guess probably due to the fact that they lost much of that core. But I think their their top end talent will will get them to probably that four to six, maybe not four, but that five to seven range. A slight regression um, in their overall um, result, just based on like Rory said, their ins and outs from last season um, but I still think they're a playoff team with Dame and um, 3J back there so like Max said their top end talent's probably still going to get them in the playoffs but are they a threat to win the title and I, I don't I don't think so so uh, yeah I mean for me it was just a question because we know we've got all of these playoff teams already like uh, obviously both LA teams the Nuggets, the Jazz, the Rockets, the Warriors, the Spurs. Yeah. <laughs> so they're gonna fall in that they're gonna fall in that second kind of to third possibly tier of teams that are fighting for that I'd say six to eight range personally. I think Dame's gonna get a lot like get them a long way in the regular season just and and um CJ McCollum as well. But like you said, I think the, 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 the lack of depth now... Well, not lack of depth, but I think the loss of those players that were so vital to their... You know, how they operated. Um, and Nurkic as well being injured. Will Hassan Whiteside measure up? Um, but I can see slight regression and around a 6-8 to eight seed for the, the Blazers, personally. Yeah, I just thought it might be, might be an interesting narrative to watch throughout the season. Um, I think that's all we have for today. Max's quietly snuck out to go have his birthday lunch yes so um thanks very much for listening make sure that you i mean if you've made it this far Thank go you. and go and chuck us a rating you know and leave us a review if you'd like really stroke our egos we love it i don't need it i'm trying to um 
they're trying to control my temperament because I come flying in here making all these accusations about players and all these big claims with all my words. I think I need to come in a bit more cool-headed next week. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to get a reputation around here for being a Skip, Skip Bayless, what was I called before? <laughs> I need to calm down a little bit because I don't articulate things how I'd like to sometimes and I don't want to be the next Skip Bayless. Maybe we'll get some ratings. I don't know. Me saying preposterous stuff seems to work for a lot of people. Colin Coherd. Yeah, it's true. Maybe I'll keep at um, it. I don't know. I'll think about it this week. Well, yes, we'll we'll see how how you come in next week, mate. And Stegs will be here. Stegs will be here. So, a uh, good podcast to look forward to next week. We'll have the full crew back. Um, so make sure you hang around for that one. Thanks again for listening. Uh, on behalf of Max. Go Sixers. I'm going to say go Spurs. Go the Nuggets. Um, football season two is yes, coming we'll up. we'll have some football. So go we'll, the Panthers as well. We'll be here to discuss how overrated Christian McCaffrey was at 42. Oh my... Turn the podcast. I'm going <laughs> to freaking smash you. All right. Thanks for listening.